a reading from the Revelation to St. John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So is it to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who serve with you in Jesus Christ, the persecution, share with you, the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
Let's uh, pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we uh, think about these dramatic words that uh, are at the opening of the closing book of Scripture, would you lead us in understanding them and knowing how we might be a community that hears, listens, and keeps? So meet us, we ask, in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So you may have noticed by now, but this fall we are going to be looking at the book of Revelation. And uh, you heard that correctly. We will be looking at the book of Revelation. Now, when I've shared this with people over the last few weeks, when people would say, hey, Tuck, what are we going to do in the fall? We're going to finish the parables. What's going to happen next? Um, And I've said, you know, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. Uh, I get different responses, and three W words immediately come to my mind. What? Or, wow, or why? (laughs) Revelation is one of the strangest books in the entire Bible. Um, There are probably stranger portions, but it's a pretty strange one. And it's certain, you know, certainly within the New Testament, it sort of it it, it sets the bar high for strangeness. It's apocalyptic literature, which is a word that just simply means to reveal or uncover uh, something that is hidden, particularly as it relates, in this case, to God and his world. And what's interesting is you think about the history of studying Revelation or thinking about what this book might mean, there's a lot of thoughts about it, um, and they conflict and they don't always map onto one another. Uh, The church has had a lot of confusion around this particular book, so you can understand why you get the what question or the really the why would you do that to yourself question. Um, But the church throughout its history has had very different thoughts about what exactly is being uncovered or revealed uh, through this dramatic sort of ending to the New Testament. Is John speaking, for example, uh, in some sort of secret code, right, as if you were in wartime World War II and you've got the code breakers trying to figure out what's being said, what's the secret, where's the next move? Uh, Is this some veiled articulation of the conflict between the Roman Empire, right, and the struggling Christian church? Uh, On the other hand, is this a code that is largely about some undisclosed future that's just way out there. It really has very little to do with us in the here and now. What in the world is going on in this book of Revelation? The questions uh, that you and I bring to this, a book like this, a reading like this, uh, apart from maybe a few happy passages that you like to go to, mine, chapter five, love it. Chapter 21, chapter 22, love them. Um, But otherwise... I mostly don't read the book of Revelation so much. It's a, it's a strange book, and it has a little more in common. It sometimes things like with the television show Stranger Things. Maybe we're in the upside down. I'm not real sure. So why are we at City Church going to take a little dive into this book? Uh, so let me do a little apocalypse here. I'm going to unveil the process to you. And the unveiling goes like this. Chris and Jonathan and I will sit and we'll chat. Well, hey, Tuck, have you thought about the sermon series for the fall? No, I don't know what we should do. Hey, 
What about, and we start to list different things, and we think about needs that are happening inside of our community, and we think about questions that people are asking us, that you're asking us, or questions that are sort of popping up in community groups, which is another reason why they're important. Get in one, by the way. But, you know, we listen to the heartbeat of the community, in a sense, as we're trying to discover these things, and we begin to put things on paper. And, you know, we were in this process, and it just wasn't like, Nothing was really shaking out for us in some way. So then a couple of weeks, a few weeks back, maybe a month ago, I guess, I was up in New York City in the Redeemer Presbyterian offices, and I was sitting in a friend of mine's office, and I'm looking up at his bookshelf, and I see this sort of row of Eugene Peterson books. And I mean, I thought, I, I like Eugene Peterson, but I don't know that I like him like that much, you know, that much. And I'm like, he, he wrote some things I don't know about. And I start to look at these titles, and I see one, Reverse Thunder, the Revelation of John, and the Praying Imagination. I think, well, that's interesting. Hmm. I pull it off the shelf. I begin to look through the table of contents and sort of thumb through what he's writing about and talking about. And I, that might be it. Maybe we should take the deep dive into Revelation. So here we sit this morning, beginning our reading of Revelation. But let's push a little further what are some other reasons? The very first is, that the, is just this. This is the last book of Scripture. When you look at the, the, the canon of Scripture, you know, of the church, this is the ending. This is where the church has sort of stopped things and said, this is a very important book to end on. It's an important note as you launch into life with Christ in our world. The last book of Scripture... Why this? What does God want us to think about as we think about our life in the world now, not just in the future, but in the world now as we seek to follow Jesus? In that particular moment of the writing of this book, you very likely have the scenario where many of the early witnesses to Christ have passed on. Uh, so this is a, a movement from one generation to the next, really, in some sense. In other words, and, and, and you can imagine yourself if you're at the end of that space, right? What would you be thinking? Like, what would be some of the things in your mind? Where is Jesus? <laughs> I mean, that would be like immediately on my mind. He has talked about his kingdom come. He's talked about this world of peace, this world of justice and goodness and beauty and truth and so on, right? In which all of life becomes whole. And yet the church is existing in that moment in a space that's highly conflictual. Where is he? Why hasn't he come on back? When is this kingdom coming? See, the church then found themselves waiting a little longer than they might have expected. And in some sense, I wonder if the book of Revelation doesn't sort of move us forward. It's almost like the church in that moment, if I could describe it this way, if you've ever gone on vacation, with your, if you think back to your childhood and you think you're in the car with your parents and you're driving to some destination, what do the kids in the back seat begin to say? Are we there yet? And you're only five minutes into the trip and you're, 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 no, sit down and be quiet. You'll get ice cream when you get there, right? I mean, that's the condition of the church in this particular moment. It's a waiting community. The book of Revelation has some really important things to say to people that are in a space of waiting for God to finish that which he's promised. 
Now, the second thing that's related to this, it's not just that the church is waiting, but it's that the church is suffering in the midst of waiting. It's not, in other words, it's one thing to be on a nice, pleasant little journey. There's air conditioning in your car, right? But it's another thing if there's drama, if there's trauma, if there's tragedy, if there's difficulty, if there's suffering. And when you begin to look at the context in which Revelation is written, right here, out of the gates, what is John describing about himself? It's not just that the promise of Jesus hasn't come. But there's exile, there's suffering, there's difficulty. Look at John's self-description. It's interesting, he doesn't offer a title for himself. And there's a lot of speculation as to which John this might be. Is this John the Apostle? Maybe. Is it John some other Christian leader in the church at a later stage of life? Maybe. But John is in no way interested in drawing attention to his title. Instead, what does he identify himself as? I'm like... I'm with you on the journey. I'm a brother. I'm a companion. I'm a partner in Jesus. And that's really all he tells us about himself except this. That he's on the island of Patmos. Because of his relationship to Jesus. And specifically because of the ministry. The things that he did in light of his relationship. He was a pastor. A brother, a pastor, who has been sent away to this island, banished to this island as a kind of political prisoner. So think about it this way. Why do you banish someone from your society? Why do you keep them out? Because we fear that their presence among us threatens our social order. I mean, we've seen this in some way when we've talked about Immigration or refugees, we fear the other will shake up the social order. Now, when you think about Jesus, one of the things that becomes just crystal clear is that the whole intention of the kingdom of God is to do what? It is to shake up the social order and to move into a space of wholeness and peace and justice and truth and goodness for all, not just a few. John has been banished because of his relationship to Jesus and because of what he has to say about Jesus and because the powers that be fear the shakeup of the social order. He's suffering. And the church suffers as we're sent into these exilic spaces. This is ultimately why the Jewish community and the Gentile community of Jesus' own day moved to take his life because he threatened to upend all that the persons of power knew about life. They didn't want anything to do with that. And that has been the context in which the church has always found itself, always threatened in some sense with extinction because those that have more power than us in our particular lives as Christians in the workplace, in our, in our lives communally as a church, because People don't want to change the social order. The church has always been threatened with extinction. So Revelation is an uncovering for the sake of those that are waiting and for the sake of those that are suffering so that that community of people would have hope and that they would in their present moment, not some future moment, but today, 
this afternoon when you leave that you would take the next step of faith, that you would just keep walking with Jesus, taking seriously the claims of Jesus' promise, live by the Spirit, as Steve was saying, referencing earlier. Please go to that class, by the way. (laughs) That we would be a faithful people that just keep taking the next step. Not because we're longing for or believing in some pie-in-the-sky reality that may or may not happen, but rather in the context of this earthly life, we would take steps that reflect the coming future of God. Revelation is meant to lead us in that kind of space. Now, the third answer would be this. And that is just simply that our circumstances, um, while they may sometimes seem on the surface very different from those of this first century church, they're the same. They're the same. Because when I last checked, Jesus hasn't yet brought final fullness, right? I mean, you know, just this week, right? If you just look back the activities of this week, this this week, you tasted the struggle in your own life. And in some context this week, you know, you take that prayer that Jesus, you know, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. You felt like you yielded to temptation, right? You, you had spaces. And we were just confessing this just a few moments ago that our, that our love, our conviction about God, our commitment to God, it's flighty. That I can be in a moment of just profound agreement and yet in the next moment find myself in a space of struggle. And not just struggle, but absolute failure. We don't experience the wholeness, not consistently. And if you step away from just your individual experience and you begin to think about the life of our neighborhood or the life of our city, or you move into the national scene, you think about the life of our country, or you move into the world scene, you think about the life of the world, there, are, there is story after story after story after story of brokenness, of injustice, of continued suffering, of death, of famine, of abuses of power, and so on and so forth. That is our world. We are a waiting community of God's people. And even more disheartening, I think, is the state of the church. (laughs) I mean, honestly. Just in the last couple of weeks, what have we heard, right? Reports of the extended report, right, on the cover-up of child sexual abuse inside the church. We've heard um, just last week, last Monday night, I think it was, uh, in the White House, right, President Trump gathered a group of evangelicals, and it was a communication of fear in which he sought to persuade the evangelical community that the wrong vote in the midterms negatively impacts their future. In fact, you could be subject to violence. Now, you just listen to that. If you want to read a little bit more about that, uh, Christianity Today has a wonderful article sort of exploring the problem of that rhetoric and that appeal. It has nothing to do with Jesus. The church is a mess. You look at our community from community to community, the church is divided, right? We, We lack theological unity. We don't agree on core theological issues with one another across the spectrum you just land in any congregation on a certain Sunday morning and you're you're sort of prone to see moving from this theological conviction to this theological conviction 
And it's not just theology, it's ethics, right? We, we just disagree. And so the church is deeply, deeply divided across the board in so many spaces. And there are these spaces of abuse of power and so on and so forth. But here's the thing. There's nothing unusual about that. Because from the very beginning, religious leaders, the church in specifically, has found itself inside of this place of tension in which the pressure that we experience to collude with the powers that be, on the one hand, to find hope in some political or philosophical idea that is not arising from heaven, that which is revealed, but is drummed up out of the earth out of our spaces of brokenness. So we lean into the wisdom of this world so often as opposed to the wisdom that God has revealed in Jesus. We don't know how to live well with a God who speaks, who asks us in the speaking to become what? Listeners. Will you be quiet long enough can you still your mind, your rambling mind, long enough to listen to that which God is saying through Jesus? And not just to listen, but to become a responder, right? Because that's the point that John is driving us to think about is what would it look like if we not just listened, but we actually responded by becoming keepers of the word that God speaks, we listen and we follow through. The revelation of John uncovers a Jesus that isn't interested in all of the sort of chaos that's in our world that can so easily sway us and distract us, but rather we see a Jesus who isn't freaking out. A Jesus who is present, a Jesus who is aware, a Jesus who is with his people, a Jesus that is walking with us and encouraging us to take step after step of faithfulness. And I think that may be one of the most important takeaways from this last great book of the Bible. God is doing what God intends to do. He's bringing a city of justice and goodness and truth and love into existence in which human beings live with God in love and live with neighbor in love because God loves us and gave himself up for us and has freed us from our sins, as John says here in this opening section of the book. So this strange book of prophecy that's given to John on the aisle um, of his own banishment sets the church about the task of taking the next step, whatever that step is, of moving forward across our various experiences, some of them which are joyful and some of which are sorrowful, but we just keep moving forward, hoping in the reality of who Jesus is. Life circumstances, I want you to think about yours for just a moment. When you and I experience life as difficult or the suffering is palpable, it leans into us, what are the temptations you face when it comes to who God is and what he's revealed to you in Jesus? My temptation in those moments is just to complain. It's to just become a complainer, you know? I, I sort of join the chorus of those who nag. You know, it's like I just get on the bandwagon and I just want to, 
find someone to complain to and just, will you share my misery with me? And it's not because I want to be lifted out of that misery per se. It's just, I want you to sit with me in that misery, not in a healthy way, but I want you to sit with me in my unhealth. Sometimes it moves to a place where I think, is it worth it? Is it just worth it to... Is it worth it to keep going with God? Is it worth it to keep going with the story of Jesus? Because nothing seems to be happening. You know, and so, so you've known people for whom that's the trajectory of their lives. Like suffering doesn't lead them into a place of more faith or greater faith or you know, sort of the, the purifying of their faith. But it leads them where? Away from faith because we just give up. Revelation has given it to us to sort of, to sort of lead us into endurance so that we actually find that suffering produces the fruit of purification, that it, it, it grows us up. It becomes a context in which we lean further into who Jesus is. And if you're a person that you look at your life, you know, and a lot of you in City Church, you know, you're, you're on the younger spectrum a lot of times, right? You know, and so you're in this space possibly where um, things are going okay. And you think suffering... I imagine suffering will happen one day, you know. Now, that may not be all of you, but we all sort of get in these spaces, these moments where life is working for us, right? And what is the danger for us? What is the temptation for us in a space in which life is working? The danger for us in a space in which life is working is I just become one who's lulled to sleep, right? I just, I sort of forget that there's suffering out there, that the body of Christ is more diverse than my own experience of it. I forget that or I intentionally begin to wall myself away from the brokenness that remains in our world. And I just inhabit my happy little bubble of life is pretty good for me. And the danger for me in that space is that I become one who forgets that even this sliver of joy, however long it may last or however short-lived it may be, is gift and grace. And I lean into how I got there and just assume that more of the same is going to continue to happen. It's easy for us to sort of neglect the book of Revelation in those moments because I don't want to endure on the one hand and I don't want to be reminded of the suffering on the other hand. But Revelation brings all of those things together into the present moment of the church and says this is the context in which you live life. This is prophecy. That is, it is the word of the Lord to a people in the midst of ordinary life. John imagined that through this book, when he's writing it and giving it to the churches and sending it to the churches, that he's pastoring them. So that they wouldn't see, say, well, this is for someone way off in the future, but they would rather in their moment say, how do I take the next step? What is the next step? Revelation was for them in their life with Christ among one another in the midst of a broken world now. Revelation is an attempt to reframe ordinary life, whether it's on the joyful side of the spectrum or the sorrowful side of the spectrum, so that we connect the dots to Jesus who loves us. God who's spoken to us in the person of Jesus. Scripture is not simply something that we study for the sake of studying and understanding. God has given the church scripture. He's given us his word so that we would begin to know him in the midst of everyday life. It is always personal and it is always applicable. It's always for us 
to do something with, that you and I would become listeners and keepers of the word. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads this, hears this, and keeps what is written. So in this last book of the Bible, this last book of Scripture, what does God desire for the church? That we would become those who hear, those who keep. He desires to interact with us personally through this story of Scripture. And when you read Revelation, that can be really weird. We don't know how he's interacting with us sometimes. It can be very confusing. It can be disorienting even. I remember the first time I think I seriously read this this part of the Bible, and I, I was in like fifth grade. And it was in a moment when I thought, okay, I'm going to sneak off and have my own time of reading the Bible. And I remember sitting in Raleigh, North Carolina, on a beanbag chair, reading sort of the book of Revelation and the New Living, Tra- and the Living Translation. It wasn't new then, it was the Living Translation. And, and I remember reading this, and you're, as a kid, you're just caught up in this imaginary world, and it seems so weird. You know what? God wants to stir our imaginations through this book so that we become people who hear and keep, so that we experience his nearness in our lives as we walk towards his future. Revelation reminds us that our joys always point beyond themselves and that our sorrows find meaning outside of themselves and our relatedness to who God is and what he's doing and his great love for us God desires us, he created us to find joy and to live inside of a relationship with him that is meaningful and enduring to the very end and that one day we will be caught up in this place of joy and beauty and his enduring city forever. That's what he wants. Our joys and our sorrows are unfolding with inside of this great cosmic clash between kingdoms, that is, between politics, right? Between politics, the politics of God on the one hand and the politics of all that is not God on the other hand, seen and unseen. And the question that is situated before the church as we listen to this book, as we read this book, is just very simply this. Where are you in this cosmic battle? Where are you in this cosmic battle? Notice verse 7. Here John just simply situates the story of the church. Behold, he is coming. Every eye will see, all eyes, right? Those who follow and those who do not follow. Some will erupt in spaces of praise at his coming and others in spaces of weeping. Now this is hard for us. Because what John is essentially telling us right here at the outset is that the way you hear and the way you listen and what you do with these things that you hear matters. Our choices, our agency, if you will, counts for something. It's meaningful. You know what? God intends to honor your agency. That's what this text is telling us. And some are going to find that in the midst of of controversy, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of their suffering and waiting space of life, that when Jesus returns, they will erupt in praise. Why? Because they have just stayed with the story of Christ. And it'll be one of those moments where it's like, we are home. It happened. It's beautiful. It's lovely. 
But for others, the wailing, what John is simply saying and calling attention to ever so gently and more severely as we move through this book sometimes, is just simply this. Where are you? Are you living by the story that will endure forever? Are you living by the stories of this world that will find an ending place? What story frames your life? Throughout this last book, John is going to call his reader, his hearer, to listen and to keep. To listen and to keep. One final thought as we finish up. In verse 8, we have a word from God that is sort of in quotations, right? It's as though God is very directly speaking to us. And what are we being told in that space? It occurs here and again at the end of in chapter 21. And it's just simply this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and is to come. The whole of the book of Revelation is sandwiched between these words of the Lord that reminds us that our life is unfolding unto him and in the context of the world that he has ordained and is happening. Our life has to do with him. So he uses this alphabetical metaphor, right? God who was the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. And everything is sandwiched between the reality of who God is. And that is the space in which the Christian church lives. In relation to the God who is. One of the simple takeaways there is just simply this. He is God. I am not. He is God. You are not. And the moment you begin to orient yourself to God in that way of thinking that you are not him. And you yield to him a space of authority and privilege. The question then becomes how will you hear How will you listen? Eugene Peterson refers to this book as the first book of Christian poetry. That's an interesting designation because we think of it more in this apocalyptic space. But he says it's poetry, it's loaded with symbols, it's loaded with metaphor. And it's meant to enlarge our praying imagination to frame the way we listen to God and the way we speak to God. And the point of poetry is not to figure it out but to enter into what is there. To enter into what is there. So as we read through this great last book of the Bible over the next 11 weeks, let that sort of be your mantra. (laughs) I intend to enter into what is there. I intend to become a listener. I intend to become a keeper. Or Lord, I I at least want to want to become a listener. I want to want to become one who keeps. Enter into what is there. The beauty of that which God has spoken in his son Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we continue to reflect on the things that you're saying to us this morning in the context of our worship, that you would lift our hearts into your very presence and that we would know that you are the God who is and the God who will come. So meet us in the context of our ordinary lives, our joys, our sorrows, and help us to see how they find their ending and their conclusion in the person of Jesus, our Savior. Meet us, we ask, in his name. Amen.